Well, if you would, turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. If you have just joined us, we're moving through a rather, sadly, obscure book. Uh, and I say sadly because it's so significant, I believe. Uh, I've enjoyed the study. I hope you have as well. If not, you just have a few more months <laughs> to deal with it. And that's where we are. But uh, as we move through, we're looking at character in the midst of crisis uh, I had someone email me and say, where, where are the notes to Ezra? I said, well, those are coming because we're doing this backwards. We're going to do Ezra after Thanksgiving. Uh, we're doing Nehemiah first because we had started this before the pandemic and that's why we're, we're here. We, let me just rehearse again the theological threads through this tapestry that are vital in understanding this book and we're going to see them loud and clear in chapter 6. Chapter 6 has got to be one of the best of the chapters. It's, it's really significant. You're going to see the sovereign hand of God. Don't miss it. Secondly of all, the people of God are called to remain, to be faithful and holy, even in the midst of adversity, which we're going to see. And third, God's full restoration of his people is yet to be realized. It looks to Christ. Uh, it really is. That's, what we're, that's where this book is headed. Well, in chapter 5, as we saw, there was a need to reform the people. And we saw that and all that, that transpired. And Nehemiah says, I fear God. I'm not going to bend. Nehemiah even made provisions for the people we saw last week. In chapter 6, we come back to the, the Yehus that have been trying to attack Nehemiah from the outside. If you recall, if we looked at this map, the green is what's called the province of Yehud. This is the the province during the Persian Empire, and this is around 440 BC. The yellow dot is Jerusalem. And if you recall, we have enemies. Starting in chapter 2, we're introduced to Sambalat, who's the governor of Samaria. Uh, by the way, we have historical evidence for him. There's coins that are minted by him. Tobiah is kind of over here with the, the Moabites. You've got Geshem, who's an Idumean, and Ashdod. Uh, the city of Ashdod has come against. So in other words, they are surrounded by enemies. And we're going to see today that there are actually, uh, there's problems even with inside. So Nehemiah, <laughs> chapter 6, is going to be a, an opportunity for him either to really blow it or to continue leading faithfully the people of God. And, and so turn to chapter 6, verse 1, and let's read this chapter, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. It says, when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem. So there's the three amigos, these, the, the diabolical trio. And it says, the rest of our enemies heard. <laughs> I, they, have, they, have come, they have rebuilt the wall and no breach remained in it. So now things are getting quite desperate for the enemies of God. For nearly two months, they've been lamb blasting Nehemiah, trying to do all they could do to stop the building of the walls. They're unsuccessful. But notice the parenthetical statement. It says, even though up to that time, I had not positioned doors in the gates. We're almost done. All we need are the doors, right? Sambalat and Geshem sent word to me saying, ah, come on, that's... Let's, let's set up a time to meet together in Kephrim, in the plain of Ono. Where this is, we don't know exactly. Uh, many scholars believe that it is here. Uh, it's near the uh, Tel Aviv airport, if you've ever flown into the Ben-Gurion. So it's right in that area, most likely. It says, now they intended to do me harm. 
So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm engaged in an important work and I'm unable to come down. Why should the work come to a halt when I leave it to come down to you? They contacted me not once, not twice, but four times in the same way. And I responded the same way each time, Nehemiah tells us. <clears throat> now they changed their tactics. And the fifth time that Sanballat sent his assistant to me in this way, he had an open letter in his hand. Written in it were the following words. Among the nations it is rumored, and Jershom has substantiated this. Jershom has substantiated. Who is he? He's one of the enemies. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we got together and we both agree on this. All right. And substantiated this, that you and the Jews have intentions of revolting. And for this reason, you are building the wall. Furthermore, according to these rumors, you are going to become their king. You've also established prophets to announce in Jerusalem on your behalf. We have a king in Judah. Now the king is going to hear about these rumors. That king is Artaxerxes. That is the head of the Persian empire. <clears throat> So come on, let's talk about this. And Nehemiah, you don't want those rumors being substantiated. So let's get together. That's why we want to meet. <laughs> don't you love it? I sent word back to them. We are not engaged in these activities you are describing. All of this is a figment of your imagination. They were all wanting to scare us, supposing their hands will grow slack from the work and, and it, I won't get done. In fact, the attempt to scare them is repeated three times in this chapter. So, he says, my, I strengthened my hands. Verse 10, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son Deliah, and you got this laundry list, we don't know who any of these people are. The text doesn't, nowhere else in the Old Testament there's really referred to. He was confined to his home. He said, that's set up a time, he's referring to Nehemiah, that's meet in the house of God within the temple, that's close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. I will surely uh, be at night, or it will be at night, and they will come to kill you. But I replied, should a man like me run away? Would someone like me flee in the temple in order to save his life? I will not go. I realized that the fact that God had sent, not sent him, for he had spoken the prophecy against me as a hired agent of Tobiah and Sanballat. And he had been hired to scare me so that I would do this and thereby sin. They would thus bring reproach on me and I would be discredited. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sambalat in light of these actions. And also, and then we have this prophetess, we don't even know who she is, and the other prophets who are trying to scare me. You get the idea, right? It's not just the enemies that are outside, but we have enemies within the inside, enemies who, who are supposedly agents of God, a prophetess, and most likely a prophet. And then 15 and 16, it really goes with the last onslaught or wave of opposition, but I'm going to end it at verse 16. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul, which by the way is probably October the 2nd. How fitting that we're meeting today. It says in just 52 days, they completed the entire walls. Massive. In fact, it's so great. It says, when all our enemies heard and all the nations who were around us saw this, they were greatly disheartened. They knew that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And let's unpack this text and just kind of tease it out in our own lives and some lessons that need to be learned here. What we see are some waves of opposition. And if we read the rest of chapter 6, there's actually a, f a fourth wave. But I want to really look at the first three. <clears throat> 
The first wave is found in verses 1 through 4. And as we see, time is of the essence because this whole task is almost completed. And Sambalat knows that. They've been monitoring the situation very closely. So they're calling for a political summit. <laughs> let's, let's have a dialogue. Let's meet and we'll discuss this and we can try to figure out if we can reach some agreement. You know, if they were really serious, they would have come to Jerusalem. Especially after the first response, right? When Nehemiah says, I, I can't leave the task. It, it, the Nets Bible, which I'm reading out of, says it, that it's, he has an important work. Uh, it can mean a, a, an undaunting task, is the idea here that's it's being conveyed out of the Hebrew. And he says, I, I don't have time to do this. I, I, don't, I, I can't be gone. And so you would think, well, then let's come up to Jerusalem. But they don't do that, do they? And again, uh, they, they provide an invitation four times. Why four? We're reading into the white space, but why do you think four times? Good morning. Yes, Paul. First three didn't work. <laughs> First three didn't work. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you keep repeating it. Eventually, he's going to wear down and say, fine. You keep interrupting me with these requests. Let's just do the job. Get this thing taken care of. Now, here's the question. You got some space to fill in. How was Nehemiah? Notice the text says in verse 2, it says, now they intended to do me harm. How did he know that? What do you think? Attitude. Well, their attitude, they seem very nice and sincere by their request. But yeah. The place they wanted to meet was called, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh no is right. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's... For sure, it's neutral territory. You know, it's an open plain. We're not meeting you in some ravine where you could attack us. Seems logical. I think the answer is found in Nehemiah 5.15. Look at Nehemiah 5.15. It says, The former governors who preceded me had burdened the people. Their associates were domineering over the people. But I did not behave in this way due to what? Fear of God. Proverbs states that the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Nehemiah is no idiot. Remember when he first came to Jerusalem? He spent the night secretly going around looking at the walls, assessing what needs to be done. And even before that, he knew exactly what supplies he needed. How did he know that? He's done a ton of research. He knows who his enemy is. <laughs> They've made that very clear in chapter 2 and chapter 4. So he knows what, we're, what he's dealing with. And he also knows history. Because in Ezra chapter 4, which we haven't studied yet, in Ezra chapter 4, uh, the stunt they're going to play with this letter, which we're going to look at in a minute, is identical. And that short-circuited the Jews and their project way back. So, and it's the same outfit. So, in other words, Nehemiah knows his opponents well. So, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, if they were really concerned about meeting, they've had two months to do that since he's been here. Almost two months. So, despite the request, Nehemiah remains consistent in his response. And again, look at the response that he says. Right? I, he says, I am engaged in important work. Why is it important? That's what God had given him to do. I am not going to waver, and I'm unable to come down. Uh, it, it is a shrewd response, isn't it? He just doesn't say, hey, you're a bunch of idiots. Leave me alone. 
No, I, I, I wish I could, but I, I'm really busy here. <laughs> I don't even didn't say that even. I don't. He just says, I'm, I'm just too busy. Uh, and why should the work be halted? It's the very thing they wanted to do, right? And, 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 and doing this. Well, the first four, this first way, which is the four requests, is rather benign. It's the next level that we ratchet it up. Sambalat realizes, no, we're not going to get Nehemiah to come out here. And so what we'll do is we'll write, and notice what it says about this letter. Did you catch this in the text? It says it's an open letter. This thing hasn't been sealed and given to, to Nehemiah privately. No, we want the whole world to know what these rumors are. Why? Yeah, undermine his, the morale of the people. I have this down here. You know, it's clear that there's two objectives, and this is at the bottom of the notes. Uh, certainly it's to scare Nehemiah. He's got to be scared spitless. It goes back to Ezra 4. In fact, I've said that. Look, look back at Ezra. It's the book before Nehemiah. Just, just look at this in Ezra 4. You see this starting in verse 11. It says, and here's an open letter to Artaxerxes the king. Verse 12, now let the king be aware of the Jews who came up to you from have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and odious city. They're completing the walls. And on it goes. And because of that letter sent, the work had to cease. So it worked before. Sambalat says, let's try it again. But this time we're going to go kind of a backhanded approach, isn't it? Because they're wanting to instill fear, and as someone just stated, you're correct. I, I think they're, they're wanting to create public pressure against Nehemiah. It kind of reminds you of the debates, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, same old, we'll, we'll do these tactics that, oh, you don't, want to, you don't want to vote for this candidate because, you know, these things are going to happen, and you want to vote for me. And the, the, the same idea here. Uh, Nehemiah, we're, we're trying to undo you. Now, here's the next question. What are the accusations that are being leveled against Nehemiah? What do you see? Let's just write them down. Because this is key. And again, Ezra 4, if you had time later today, take the two texts and study them because the letters are very similar. What are the accusations? What do we see? I'm sorry? Rebellion. Yeah. I mean, the, these walls are, are, are meant to fortify the city against you, O Persia. He wants to be king. Uh, so we... Nothing like undermining Nehemiah's leadership. You know, really, he has an alternative motive, folks, for what he's doing. You get the idea? <laughs> They're going for the juggler. What's the problem with that? Nehemiah is not from the tribe of Judah. He couldn't be king. And he won't be king. What else do you see? The accusations being leveled or variations of... or With this is the bringing in the prophets. Because often, you know, we think through Israel's history. The prophets were there to announce the new king. So, anything else here? The rebellion wants to be king... I'm sorry? Yeah, it, indirectly with this rebellion and the walls, there'll be control. 
um, taxes, all of this. They're just going to, it'll be a disruption of the whole region, right? Judah's a, Yehud is an eyesore. <laughs> They're going to create unbelievable havoc for you. And remember, we talked about this time frame. The reason Artaxerxes fortifying Jerusalem is because Egypt has been rebelling against the Persian Empire. And so is Greece. And so you've got this land of Israel. If I can draw a horrible map here. But if this is Israel, here's the Sea of Galilee, the River Jordan, the Dead Sea. I mean, this is prime real estate through here. You got Egypt coming up through here. You got Greece coming through here. Persia needs this parcel of land. I think it's very intentional why God chose this portion to go to Israel. Because they were going to have to depend on the Lord. <laughs> it doesn't get the rainfall. I mean, Deuteronomy states that. You're not going to get the beautiful Nile coming through like you did in, when you were in Egypt. But furthermore, politically, this is, this is prime real estate. It's the international highway. It's the harbor. And all the empires come going, crashing through here. And, and so that's why Nehemiah was given the task to rebuild the city. And now Sambalat's saying, ah, but it was all a ruse, Artaxerxes, to overthrow you. Well, Nehemiah is quick with the accusations or response to it, isn't he? And this is there in your notes. Uh, verses 8 and 9, if you look. Nehemiah's response to the open letter, he denies the accusations, interprets the motives of his opponents, and prays to the Lord. All three responses are seen. One commentator states in your notes there on page 2, he said, the gist is that Sambalat's letter overlooks the fact that a secret meeting with Nehemiah in such circumstances might itself be construed as collaboration and rebellion and that to seek a secret consultation after sending an open letter was somewhat self-contradictory. I mean, if he responds, there's a whole host of problems to this. And so we see again, he denies the accusations. He, he publicly condemns the motives of his opponents and then he prays to the Lord. Questions on the second wave? Yes, you're, you're Kyle. Here, and yet, remember, it was only strengthening Nehemiah's resolve. Uh, where, where do you, I mean, he said God made me strong uh, in verse 9. But I'm just curious, I mean, to that extent, obviously, it was the Lord doing it. But right. to, to what extent in his flesh was he sitting there just like standing over and saying, well, what's going on here? This is the will of God, blah, blah, blah. Because I think verse 15 clearly shows the task is completely done. Despite all these waves of opposition, Nehemiah continues to, to not move. As, as he said in the, the first wave, I'm not going to go down to Ono and meet you. Secondly, he said, no, I'm not going to give any credit to that letter. You all can just let the dogs bark. You know, one, I think the reason Sambalat never sent the letter in the first place Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Artaxerxes. <laughs> he was one of the most trusted men in Artaxerxes' court. All right? You really think you're going to overturn Artaxerxes on this sucker? I don't think so. Um, that's why we're doing a backhand trying to, to, to destroy Nehemiah. Now, the third wave is where it gets very interesting. Because the first two are from those outside. Now we have, due to Tobiah's 
work. And we're told that he has been hired in verse 12 by, by, to buy it on Sambalat. And by the way, the, the final wave, the fourth wave, which is the end of chapter 6, it's Tobiah again. Why? Because Tobiah has relatives in Jerusalem. And most likely we believe in the priestly uh, arena. So Tobiah is married into power in Jerusalem. And he's going to use that. <clears throat> and we, we call this guy, and again, we don't know, we don't know exactly who he is from Shemaiah. Uh, as you see in your notes, most likely, based on this, he is a friend of Nehemiah, or at least considered a spiritual leader. And this fellow, the text tells us he was confined to his home. You need to know that that is a little unclear in the Hebrew, exactly how it should be rendered. Um, <clears throat> some argue uh, that the home is, is the temple. That can't be the case because he says we're going to go to the temple. It, it's just hard to know. Uh, why is he confined to the house? The text doesn't tell us. But he wants Nehemiah to come to his home to commiserate and say, yeah, you know, we're both in trouble. We need to go to the temple and hide. Notice what he says, right? Let us go within the temple and watch the next line, close the doors. He's not talking about the temple court area. Remember under the Old Testament law, <clears throat> for asylum, you could go to the altar in the outer court. No, what he is saying to Nehemiah is let's go inside to, to the place where only the priest can go, the holy place, right? Into the temple proper. That's the whole idea of closing the doors. It's very significant. As I mentioned there in your notes, there are two major flaws with this request. And Nehemiah it sees right through both of them. First of all, it would be illogical for God to ask Nehemiah to abandon what he's called Nehemiah to do. Careful in ministry, careful in your walk with the Lord. Um, Satan, I think sometimes his most effective tools are those that are supposedly in the camp. <laughs> Be very careful. Because here you have an individual saying, you know, I really think, uh, Nehemiah, we need to do this. I'm very concerned for you. Motives seem to be pure, Right? He's supposedly a man of God because it says he prophesies. So it all looks kosher. But Nehemiah's going, wait a minute. This is what God's called me to do. That doesn't make sense. But here's the real catch. He's asking Nehemiah to disobey the law. Who's allowed into the holy place? Only priest. male priest, right? I mentioned this in your notes. It's under that second bullet point. Numbers is very clear about this restriction. And if you remember Uzzah, remember what he did. He did enter the temple and he's fortunate that God didn't strike him dead. He was struck with leprosy, but he didn't automatically zap him. Only the altar court could be used for asylum not within the temple proper. And Nehemiah knew, based on these two things, his advice contradicts the word of God. He cannot be from the Lord. Amen. It, careful in advice that's given to you that you assess. Uh, Kidner in his commentary states, if Nehemiah had listened to Shemaiah, he would have lost possibly his life, that is God struck him, certainly his honor, 
Because there have been a whole host of people who've rallied around Nehemiah. They love him. They're serving him. And he blows it. And, you know, I stood beside you, Nehemiah. Uh, we see this in ministry all the time, right? Leaders who fall. And, and people have given their commitment to that ministry that he or she has done. And then finally, Kidner states, and he would have jeopardized the very cause he had at heart. In other words, what he had come to do, it would have been forfeited. All the good that Nehemiah had just done up to these 50, almost 52 days, would have been thrown out the window. would have been lost. I think God still would have accomplished his task, but Nehemiah would have forfeited the joy of being the one to lead it. Questions on this? Nehemiah does another, has another prayer here in verse 14. It sounds like a vindictive prayer <laughs> when he says, hey, remember them. And he mentions, uh, by the way, a prophetess, which we just stated. And you wonder, why didn't he mention Shemaiah? Because I think what, we, what we're seeing here in this prayer is there, Shemaiah was only one of many within Jerusalem who were seeking to undermine Nehemiah. Under the disguise, under this, this banner, we're, we're ambassadors from God. <laughs> we're, we're here to serve. And Nehemiah, you know, we're, we're concerned for you. Don't you love it? <laughs> Nehemiah, he just sees right through all this. And he says, he prays and he says, they're trying to scare me. Oh God, remember. As I mentioned at the top of your notes, it's not a prayer of vindictive. It's a prayer that is rooted in God's character and his work among the people. He understands. And I love verses 15 and 16. It's, it, it's stated so matter-of-factly. Well, in 52 days, they finished the wall. You have this wave, these tidal waves coming, crashing into Nehemiah. And he stands as a bulwark in the midst of it. And God honors it. As I mentioned there, and you can see that in your notes, what we see is God's response. He sustains his people. He protects Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't need to run and cower into a temple. He doesn't need to negotiate in hopes that, that this will turn out okay. Remember, it, remember Hezekiah? <laughs> he did just the opposite. He didn't turn to the Lord. He... he he did the aqueduct. He re-fortified the city. And later God says to Hezekiah, you did not trust me. I was going to deliver you. Why didn't you just trust me? And Nehemiah understands that we trust the Lord. And, and he will sustain. And his plan will not be thwarted. Right? Mentioned once again, the book of Nehemiah reminds us that God is faithful and that all credit belongs to him. And that's what we see here. Even, even the symbolics of the world states they realize, the text tells us, verse 16, they knew that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Wow. Well, what do you do with this, all right? In the midst of adversity, and maybe you're not being uh, lamb-blasted, uh, but Satan's tricks are often subtle. They're real, they're personal, and as I said, often deceptive. I think there's a few lessons to take from the text this morning. First of all, despite the rhetoric of our enemy, we need to be assured that our actions are God-honoring. 
we need to remember we serve an audience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah was not concerned that he had the popular vote. It was very important. Right? He wasn't a politician who's going to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He said, no, this is how it is. This is what God has called me to do, and I will not waver. Why? Because I fear God. First Peter, look at this text, just briefly. First Peter, in the New Testament. First Peter, you get to James, you're almost there. First Peter 2, 12 states, And maintain good conduct among the non-Christians, so that though they... Now malign you as wrongdoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Right? Verse 15, for God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Don't bend. And Nehemiah is a great example of not wavering. And if we looked at the fourth wave, you'd see that in the latter part of six. Secondly, prayer serves as crucial component of our ministry. This book ends with, or begins with prayer. Nehemiah ends with prayer. And it's peppered throughout. We've seen this time and time again in our study thus far. I mentioned there in your notes, allow the Lord to fight your battles and avenge you. The good news is he has a very thick paddle with holes in it. <laughs> he can take care of it. Let him deal with it, right? After all, ultimately, <clears throat> with Nehemiah, it's God's reputation that's at stake. And Nehemiah says, you know what, God, it's your deal. So you remember, you go before us. And he does, doesn't he? And also, I mentioned a subset there, turn to him for great wisdom and insight. Look to him, right? Yeah, let me give you another. While we walk in grace and humility, and that is true, we also must be discerning and not underestimate the enemy. Be very careful. <laughs> Satan would love nothing more than to destroy and we've talked about that um, if there's not some safeguards in your life I'd encourage you to do that <laughs> time and prayer in the word accountability fellowship with believers when all of those things are vital being here this morning and, and, and just engaging other men we're all in this together we're in a spiritual battle and we need to walk in grace and humility that is true but be very careful. Don't underestimate. <clears throat> I could say more on that. We'll, we'll go on. Let me give you one more. The fear of the Lord should trump any fear of man. That's what Nehemiah said in 5.15. I'm not like the other governors. Jewish governors. Why? Because I fear God. First and foremost, Sanballat, I don't fear you. I know you're trying to scare me. And three times again, as I mentioned, in chapter 6, we're told they try to scare Nehemiah. And I don't know about you, I would be a bit anxious. We know what history has taught us, Ezra 4. We know how powerful these men are that are coming after me. And I even have, I don't even know who I can trust in my own midst. People who claim to be prophetess and prophets, I don't know if I can trust and, and, and I would be in a field position <laughs> back at the governor's house saying, Lord, I don't know. You know, I, I got 150 I'm feeding and plus Gentiles. I don't even know at the table I can trust any of these people. And Nehemiah says, no, but I fear God. They're nothing. Some bullets, you're nothing. The letter, eh, 
It doesn't hold water. I fear God. So I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe this is not uh, where you're at the moment, but maybe you are feeling that uh, Satan loved to have the upper hand in your life. Cling to the Lord. Stand fast. Be in prayer. And don't underestimate your enemy. Ephesians 6, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickednesses in high places. Yeah, we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but ultimately against Satan. Uh, amen. That's so true. So, what's Paul's state? Put on the armor of God. Be ready. Right? In, therefore. Yeah, therefore. There's a therefore. Any other comments, questions, cries of outrage? Great text, isn't it? Nehemiah is such a model of a man who seeks to obey God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this text this morning. It's our desire to be men who are faithful to you, no matter the season. No matter the accusations, Lord, help us to be found uh, individuals living in obedience to you. We love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.